If there is one thing that we have learned with uh, artificial intelligence and in particular with deep learning in more than two decades is the forward-backward algorithm, which is actually the core of all the neural networks that we see working today. What if that was not right? In this episode, I'm going to explore with you the forward-forward algorithm by Geoffrey Hinton. Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Hey, welcome back to Data Science at Home and Beyond. I'm Francesco, your host for the next 30 minutes. Feel free to join us on our Discord channel where you can get in touch with me and the amazing community of scientists and practitioners. You will find links you need on the official website, datascienceathome.com. Today, as always, we are going to have a lot of fun with the topics you love the most. So put yourself at ease, grab your cup of coffee or tea, and expose your brain to the topic of the day. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, and in this episode, I will try to explain an algorithm that has been discussed a bit, uh, just a tiny bit in the past when the paper came out. Um, it has been proposed by Geoffrey Hinton, and uh, it has gone kind of under the radar for a while. Uh, I think still the case. Uh, I'm speaking about the forward-forward algorithm. And there are some preliminary investigations that Geoffrey Hinton has done with this algorithm, with this uh, new methodology that goes exactly in the opposite direction uh, than the backward propagation algorithm, or the forward and backward directions that a normal neural network or the neural networks we are used to know today work. And so the forward-forward algorithm in fact replaces the forward and backward passes of backpropagation algorithm uh, by two forward passes, and which is very weird. Even when I read the paper a while ago, I was really intrigued by the fact that, okay, how can this work? And first of all, why even proposing such a thing? Well, the true nature of this paper is, uh, of course, experimental, it's pure research, um, though some part of the paper seemed to me like an applied applied research because, of course, there are some uh, experiments uh, that are performed on the usual data sets, the benchmark data sets that all neural network topologies consider whenever they want to show or prove some kind of improvement over the state of the art. And uh, Geoffrey Hinton, of course, has used the same data sets and uh, uh, very preliminary algorithms and methods uh, on these data sets. I haven't found any of the code, uh, but I believe there are uh, code bases in which the forward-forward algorithm in the many different flavors uh, have been implemented. And of course, I will report some of these links in the show notes of this episode at datascienceatom.com. What is the reason Geoffrey Hinton came with this uh, uh, proposition, with this uh, new methodology? Well, I strongly believe that Geoffrey Hinton is uh, more than a philosopher <laughs> rather than an engineer, um, in the sense that he tries to achieve uh, the same goals of the typical neural network that we know today, the, the backward propagation-based neural network, um, compare it to the real brain, to the biological brain. And the first statement by Geoffrey Hinton, and not only, 
is that human brains don't work with backpropagation. So, you know, backpropagation is a trick that we use from a computational perspective in order to speed up the learning phase and in order to, you know, tweak and tune the, the weights of our network and uh, make it learn fast. Though we know that with stochastic gradient descent and backpropagation, it's not really fast, the, the learning process, because we all know that a neural network, for example, needs to see uh, or experience the same input many, many times, regardless of one-shot learning and many other flavors of learning. Um, but essentially, the backpropagation and the stochastic gradient descent in combination in order to minimize uh, or optimize the, the, the loss function or minimize the loss function, in fact, require a number of iterations. Um, and so a lot of data, but not only, a lot of iterations like... Uh, uh, training epochs in which uh, these parameters are tuned until a hopefully global minimum or maximum, depending on the optimization function that we are considering. So with the forward-forward algorithm, in fact, there is no backpropagation at all. So how does this work? Well, the idea of Geoff Rinton is, uh, as I said, comes from the biological brain. In the biological brain, it would be very inefficient to, let's say, implement some kind of backpropagation, you know, from a biological perspective, because, you know, the, the, the top-down connections from one cortical area to an, another area of the brain uh, that, is, that comes earlier in the visual pathways, for example, do not mirror the bottom-up connections as would be expected if backpropagation was being used in the visual system, for example. And so this means that backpropagation through time as the or a possible way of learning sequences would be impossible for uh, not just human beings, but for biological organisms in general. Another serious limitation of backpropagation is that uh, it requires usually perfect knowledge of the computation performed in the forward pass in order to compute the correct derivatives. And if we don't know that, in the sense that if we have like a black box, we need that black box to be differentiable. So we need to learn a differentiable model of the black box whenever we uh, use a black box, which means that we do not know the, we don't have perfect knowledge of the computation performed in the forward pass. And uh, this is doable, of course, uh, under certain constraint. Um, it's doable to, let's say, design a, a differentiable black box. And that's when, you know, backpropagation-based neural networks, in fact, work. But um, uh, in many, in all other cases, you know, it becomes impossible. Another big limitation of backpropagation is that it learns while storing all the neural activities until the last layer and then stopping to the last layer or the one before and stops in the, in the last layers to propagate error derivatives back to the to the first layers. That's how uh, forward-backward passes work. And um, in the case of a forward-forward algorithm, of course, we don't have that because one of the major advantages is that it can learn while pipelining sequential data through the neural network without storing the neural activities and without stopping to propagate error derivatives because there is no no such path there is no back propagation indeed and so in a way the forward forward algorithm it's it kind of 
kind of uh, plays in line with what a, a normal brain would work or a biological brain would work. You know, when you do something, of course, it's going to be very, very difficult to explain this because when we think, we don't think that we are thinking. <laughs> and so this means that, you know, we, our brain doesn't freeze somehow to backpropagate something or to uh, communicate the, let's say, electric impulses of the synapses or neurons that are involved in the uh, learning activity. So that's, that doesn't work, doesn't work like that. And so if we think of a biological brain, we would think as kind of a straightforward way of learning uh, or a forward forward way of learning, which probably gave the um, suggestion or the inspiration, if that's ever the case, to Geoffrey Hinton to think about a forward-forward algorithm. So this is kind of a, um, a philosophical way of thinking or rethinking computer science and the way, you know, the learning process for uh, comparing it from biological organisms to, uh, to of course, in, in silico computations. So let's uh, try to dive into the forward-forward algorithm. Well, uh, as I said, the idea is to replace the forward and backward passes uh, by two forward passes um, that essentially work exactly in the same way as each other, but they just do so on different data and with uh, um, kind of opposite objective functions, right? So the positive pass, so there is still a positive and a negative, so there is some sort of contrastive learning, but in one pass. And so in the positive pass, uh, we operate on, on real data, like the data that we experience from the domain that we are observing or from which we are learning. And uh, then in this first pass, you know, the network adjusts the weights in order to uh, maximize the goodness in every hidden layer, while the negative pass operates on negative data and uh, adjusts the weights to decrease uh, a goodness function, uh, the goodness of a uh, of a function in every hidden layer uh, as well. So essentially, it's like providing to the network the real data and then the negative data, uh, which is usually uh, data that are corrupted or generated or just broken data. Uh, by doing this, you know, by replicating this, um, let's say, contrastive way of learning uh, and maintaining one pass, um, some experiments have shown that the test error um, is some kind of minimized or to a lower bound, of course. But with respect to the backpropagation-based uh, neural networks, you know, the big sisters there, um, they don't really perform as well. So where does this negative data come from? As I said, this is corrupted data. Now, there are many ways to corrupt data. Uh, of course, one can uh, break labels, can alter the data, maintain the label and uh, kind of randomize or break or shuffle the, the, the data, the original data. And the only thing that we need to know is that that is corrupted data and that is not. So we need to know that, you know, we need to make that distinction for the experiment to succeed. So, for example, the positive data in, um, a, let's say, a computer vision task uh, would consist of an image with uh, the correct label and the negative data consists of an image with the incorrect label. Uh, and, you know, you can break these things as, uh, as you wish. Uh, since the only difference between positive and negative data is only the label, forward-forward uh, algorithms would ignore all the features of the image that do not correlate with the label. 
And so that's kind of, you know, the very basic principle on top of which uh, FOBA4 algorithms are based. And now let me tell you something important. Cyber criminals are evolving. Their techniques and tactics are more advanced, intricate, and dangerous than ever before. Industries and governments around the world are fighting back, unveiling new regulations meant to better protect data against this rising threat. Today, the world of cybersecurity compliance is a complex one, and understanding the requirements your organization must adhere to can be a daunting task. But not when the pack has your back. Arctic Wolf, the leader in security operations, is on a mission to end cyber risk by giving organizations the protection, information, and confidence they need to protect their people, technology, and data. Their new interactive compliance portal helps you discover the regulations in your region and industry and start the journey toward achieving and maintaining compliance. Visit arcticwolf.com slash data science to take your first step. That's arcticwolf.com slash data science. Now, when it comes to image classification, Geoffrey Hinton uses the MNIST uh, dataset, which is um, one of the most famous uh, datasets uh, for benchmarking neural networks, especially when it comes to computer vision tasks. Um, and many of these examples uh, use uh, feed-forward neural networks that were learned greedily one layer at a time. And this means that whatever was learned in the later layers could not affect what was learned in the earlier layers, which is exactly the opposite of, um, uh, of backpropagation. In fact, with backpropagation, what happens is exactly the opposite, which means that once we learn layer by layer, what we learn in the last layer it is, it is backpropagated to the first layer. So the first layers are indeed affected by whatever I learn at a later stage or later layers. And this is very important for backpropagation. That's exactly what makes backpropagation, let's say, fast with respect to forward, forward algorithms during the learning processes, because we kind of help the network in the backpropagation path to say, hey, I learned this thing in, you know, by looking at a more by looking at the same data in a more abstract way. And uh, please take care of this, like take this into account. And we backpropagate that with the backpropagation algorithm to the, to the first layers, which have only knowledge, for example, of the pixel value or a, a blob or the color or the intensity or whatever that is, you know, more, you know, closer to the, let's say, sensory system or sensor data. Uh, while uh, when I, and this this help that is that comes you know with the backpropagation uh, phase, uh, in fact makes the learning process much much faster with respect to the uh, to the little cows in forward forward. So if forward forward algorithms do not perform, um, learn much are much slower than backpropagation neural networks. Uh, and uh, within and with the same computational effort, they learn less in the sense that the test error is usually higher than uh, backpropagation neural networks. Why do we use them, or why would one even consider this this algorithm uh, for you know for the tasks that they want to solve? Well, one uh, particular reasons for which forward forward algorithms would be considered should be considered is when it comes to power drain and uh, the power that is used to make this computation. Uh, we all know how expensive it is to train a neural network, in particular a backpropagation-based neural network. Uh, it is something that is extremely 
consuming, computational intensive, time consuming. We need massive GPUs and a ton of data. But it's not just the data, it's just the, the, the type of the computation, the number of parameters increases uh, dramatically. We remember we are dealing with the uh, billions of parameters now. Uh, ChatGPT and all the others that we have covered on this show, all large language models, you know, millions, millions of parameters, millions of parameters is no longer enough or is no longer sufficient. So uh, these operations, um, usually linear algebra operations, are extremely uh, are compute intensive. And, um, and this means that you need very powerful hardware, and that means in turn that you need a lot of energy uh, to make this computation. Um, so why are forward-forward algorithms relevant? Uh, well, they are in fact relevant when it comes to analog hardware that is um, kind of embedding in the hardware the learning process. And so kind of removing that separation that we are all used at uh, used to think of, which is software from one side and hardware from the other side. So these two monsters live in two different world, uh, in two different worlds, and somehow uh, they have to integrate with each other. So usually, what we do, we take one piece of software, an algorithm, and we run uh, a, on on a physical hardware, but not just one, on millions of physical hardware uh, that have certain specifications, and we are all safe that software works all the time the same in every possible hardware that we have. Uh, with Forward Forward, and in fact with the idea proposed by Geoffrey Hinton, this would be no longer the case, in the sense that uh, if we wanted an energy efficient way to multiply vectors uh, or weight matrices, uh, the only possible way uh, it would be uh, to use some kind of uh, what he defines as mortal computation. <laughs> that is uh, something very weird to, to, to speak about, but in fact, it's hardware that implements the software and there, is some, and there is actually no distinction between hardware and software. So this means that when that hardware dies, that software dies as well. It's called mortal computation for a reason. Well, now the software we run, it's immortal in the sense that we copy the same algorithm, the same piece of code on millions of machines, millions of hardware, uh, motherboards, SSD card, CPUs, etc. And uh, we can just copy and, and execute these millions or billions of times. Um, and if hardware fails, no problem. We take a new hardware, we copy the same piece of code, and we're good to go. This is no longer the case with analog hardware. Because if you think of this, uh, an energy efficient way uh, to multiply, for example, a, a an activity vector by a weight matrix would be to implement activities as uh, voltages and weights as conductances. So these are the two concepts that are on, on which hardware is based, essentially. So we are at the electric level uh, of, of the hardware, right? So where you have voltages and currents and, and conductances. And if we find a way to, let's say, bind um, multiplications or vector multiplications or matrix multiplications to this analog information coming from the hardware, well, then that would be the only possible way to, according to Hinton, um, to have a very efficient way to multiply things and to perform computations, in fact.
Now, the problem is that it's difficult to, you know, what we do now with backpropagation is that we use transistors and uh, very high power uh, hardware to model the individual bits uh, in the digital representation of a number. And then we perform um, O n square, which is uh, quadratic operations, uh, single bit operations to multiply, for example, uh, two numbers of n, bit, uh, n bits each uh, together. This is what happens now. You know, we have this uh, transistor-based architectures, all the computers that we can purchase today. Uh, and then we perform these massive computations, these uh, very complicated computations, even when it comes to a simple multiplication, the, um, the amount of uh, bits and data that is exchanged uh, and operations that is executed in order to perform that at the hardware level is, is high, is very, very complex. Um, now, when it comes to backpropagation, it is very difficult to build a very efficient way to do backpropagation. So uh, what people do and hardware designers do is essentially taking uh, so-called A2D converters, which stands for uh, analog to digital converters, and move into the digital uh, space and then perform these uh, bit computations, right? And then eventually we move we move back to a digital with digital to analog uh, converters uh, in order to represent that operation uh, or the result of that operation in uh, uh, elect electrical terms, right? That's what happens now. Well, the use of two forward passes would not need any analog to digital converters, and this would mean that a big chunk of the computation or a big chunk of electric power needed to perform this computation would not be necessary anymore. Uh, and so this is where, according to Hinton, we would gain, uh, in fact, something from an algorithm that at the end of the day performs less when it comes to accuracy uh, of prediction or, or less generative power if you are dealing with generative models. Now, of course, this is, again, uh, very weird to to hear uh, because this would say this is kind of saying what have we done for the last 50 or 70 years we have all our lives is based on uh, uh, on transistors uh, so now one comes and says hey we were wrong about that uh, no more transistors please <laughs> of course that's not the case you know there are many things that transistors are in fact, the only way to uh, perform computation and probably the most efficient we have um, at this point in time. And in fact, the paper uh, by Geoffrey Hinton is fascinating just because of this, because it says the separation of software from hardware is one of the foundations of computer science. And with this paper, we are kind of going against that. We are saying exactly the opposite. <laughs> so... Uh, I found this paper very weird, uh, but also very, uh, very fascinating. Uh, I hope there is, of course, a continuation of this work. Uh, I hope there is some future work from uh, from Hinton or from some of his students. Uh, I would definitely love to see if these things uh, ever make sense from a practical perspective. I'm not sure. I didn't do enough research for, for assessing this, of course. But, of course, if you have opinions about uh, this work by Hinton, uh, don't hesitate to drop on our Discord channel and uh, let us know. That's it for today. Speak with you next time. Bye.
You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.